You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Uh, so to do that, let me introduce us to uh, one of many passages that we could turn to. Uh, this is Paul's letter to Titus in which he's instructing him on conduct within the churches. In this particular passage in Titus 2, he introduces the role that uh, older women should have within the church. Verses 3 through 5, he says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So before I introduce our panel, let me lead us into the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your wonderful plan of salvation, for your love for us, for sending Jesus, our Savior. Lord, we ask that you um, illumine us with the Spirit tonight, give us insight into your word, that uh, as, we, as we partake in a wonderful conversation about the good gift of women that you have given to us, to your church, that uh, all that is said would be honoring to you and instructional for us. And we offer these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so to begin, let me introduce our panel. We've got our elder, uh, Jim McLaughlin, who, who one of his roles actually is to oversee the ministry, the women's ministry. And next to him is uh, Gina Woodall, one of the the women's ministry team leaders, and actually you'll probably remember hearing from her during prayer time or different things, uh, announcing different opportunities for women's ministry. And next to her, next to me, is um, Beth Carter, and she was a part of that women's ministry team leadership for a while and has moved away. We were happy enough to, um, to grab her back for this evening, so we're glad to have you especially, and, and thank you all for, for joining us. Um, before we take a deep dive and jump in, any opening remarks from the panel? <laughs> this is going to be a tough night. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so when we think of women, women in ministry, women in church life, uh, society, home, we don't need to go in blind We've got scripture as our guide, and there are a multitude of passages that we could turn to. Um, what I've put up on the screen is only uh, a few of the passages that we could turn to, and I don't want to take too much time now to, to go into each of them individually, only to say that there seems to be a progression of uh, there's a created order in which women are equal in, in every way to men, but different. And we need to emphasize both of those aspects, the equality and the, the difference or the distinguishing marks between men, women, men and women. And then as we go through um, both Old and then New Testament epistles, we see the, the roles of men and women distinguished. We see the equality once again at the foot of the cross, that there is no male or female, no Jew or Greek. There, there's no distinguishing between any of us in Christ. We come to uh, Christ in salvation the same. There's no second-class Christians. But yet the functioning within the church, there are differences. Uh, so I'm going to toss this out there to our panel. What are those distinctives that we should understand Scripture to be teaching us about gender roles within the church? Well, I got something to say on that. Uh, well, when I was thinking about this, I went and looked at some other churches' positions on the women in ministry and so forth, churches that we would be similar to uh, and as far as the biblical authority is concerned. And I, I thought it was important in response to this question, Neil, that we at least uh, start out with, uh, as far as office holders in the church are concerned, we, when we founded Grace Community Church some 24 years ago, uh, it was quite clear to us after a 
about a, we spent about a year and a half uh, drafting our constitution and we had studied all these issues. And the first issue that came up, of course, was who can, who can be an elder, who can be a deacon, that kind of thing. And our study of the scripture, 1 Timothy primarily, uh, led us to the firm conclusion that church leadership, authority, office holders are male in the scriptures. Uh, and so that seems to be settled by sound exegesis of the scriptures and study. Um, and so the, and, and the scripture also makes it clear that in the marriage, the husband is the spiritual head of the, of the household, which, so the church and the family. And, it, and then we look at the, the Trinity itself, and we see that uh, all three are equal in every way. All three are completely God. Uh, and yet, all, uh, Jesus is clearly submissive to the Father in all things. Uh, so so that, that ugly word that we hear in society today, submissive, uh, is interpreted all wrong, obviously. I mean, uh, Jesus is submissive, and we're submissive to Jesus as, as believers. And as church leaders here, we, we always submit to the, the headship of Christ. He's the head of the church, uh, and the husband is the head of the family. And in creation, I'm surprised you didn't put Genesis 2.18 up, uh, where it makes it clear that the order of creation was Adam and then Eve. And God saw it was not good for Adam to be alone, and he needed a helper fit for him. And, uh, and Eve was created in that regard. Uh, so I, Genesis 2.18 seems to be a foundational verse to me as far as the Adam and Eve are both made equally in the, in the image of God. They're equal in every way except that authority-wise, Adam gets the tiebreaker. He gets the vote. Uh, so I think it's good to emphasize our belief that the Bible is infallible and inerrant, and the Bible is our sole authority in all matters of faith and practice. And in our study of the, of the scriptures, we conclude that, that uh, only men could hold offices in the, in the church. But we firmly believe uh, careful and sound exposition, uh, exegesis of the scripture in our day and time reveals how God fully honors the dignity, equality, value, gifts of women in the ministry of the church, in the church. And that's our goal, is to, is to follow the scripture and make sure that, that our women in, in, in this church get to exercise their gifts as scripture permits. And we think it permits it in every way, except for holding of office. Well, you've already begun to, to hit on uh, the answer to, to my next question is, why does it matter? H how does this play out, um, whether in life in, in general, in society, but more specifically in, in the church, what's the importance of, of these differences within the church? Well, I think first and foremost, to kind of backtrack a little bit, we tend to see in our society two predominant schools of thinking that really kind of clash one another. You see um, the removal of distinction between men and women but then you see men and women pitted against one another with patriarchy versus feminism, and you kind of have this us versus them mentality. Um, so I think before we, even, before we even begin to talk about distinctions and before we get to women are from Mars and men are from Venus, men and women are from God and made in the image of God, and starting not in reaction to the culture, but starting where the Bible starts in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, where Adam looks at Eve and he says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she is like me. She mirrors me. And so um, starting with that equality and dignity and value and worth before God in our common humanity, I think is a very important um, foundation to lay when we have this conversation, especially within the church. Mm -hmm. And so it's very easy to be reactive in almost anything. So starting where the Bible starts and then working from there. And I think it's important to get these things clear with Titus 2 so that the word of God's not reviled. So there's, there's an adornment that happens 
when these things are handled with care and handled with fidelity. So That's a great point. When I was um, looking again over the, um, these passages, especially in Timothy and Titus, uh, and as well as First Peter, that the adorning that Paul was getting after, we get hung up on the hair and the jewelry and everything, but what he was getting at is the adorning should be holiness. Like it should be for all of us, but uh, it happened to be in the course of inspired scripture that he was hitting on um, that particular aspect with, in accordance to how women should adorn themselves mm-hmm. with the holiness. I mean, in, a, in terms of distinctions, um, you know, the, the cultural mandate or the, the creation mandate, the Great Commission, that was issued to men and women alike. Um, that wasn't one or the other. Um, so in that aspect, there's an expectation that both men and women are going to be involved equally in spreading the gospel and um, ministering to people. That doesn't mean that just because we're equally involved that our roles are interchangeable mm-hmm. or that you know there's this easy flip-flop between what a man does and what a woman does because there is a distinction made. So they're both in the garden given the, the command to exercise dominion over creation. But we can't neglect the fact that woman was formed from man and given to man. But to Gina's point, it's a, a very good point. We're a team. We complement each other. That women have certain gifts that men do not have. And I think about in the scripture, Priscilla and Aquila explaining the gospel more clearly to, to Apollos. So there you see a husband and wife team doing the Great Commission. And, and both have a role there, but it's not going to be exactly the same. I mean, because women are going to do things in a different way than a man's going to do them. And I think God has gifted us that way on purpose to complement one another. I think that is one great example, though, because people sometimes use that as an example of women ministering to men or women teaching men. Um, but I think the important distinction there is that it was done privately. Mm-hmm. It was two people taking in a younger person and talking to them right. one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Um, I have always thought it was interesting that in that instance, Priscilla's name was given first. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, several times when Paul lists the, the two of them, Priscilla's Her name is, is given first, first mm-hmm. which culturally and, and throughout the rest of Scripture, that's a bit different. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's indicating that maybe she was she was converted first or, or maybe a more mature believer, but that still didn't usurp the, the fact that her husband had headship in that, in that family. Mm-hmm. And their ministry to Apollos was not, as you were saying, it was not done in the context of the church. It was, mm-hmm. it was outside personally. Um, Jim, you had mentioned to compliment one another. Um, Gina had sent a graphic, which is on our next slide, which I think is very helpful um, would anyone like to explain what these terms are and where we ought to fit biblically on this spectrum? Well, I mean, with so many different classifications, you know, you can't really go into the finite details of each. You know, kind of the, the, the broad reach of each, you know, feminism being the extreme that there's, there's really no difference between men and women um, gender is just a social constraint that is placed on us, but um, as far as our creation, there's no difference. Um, so th- therefore, since we're all the same, there's no need for gender roles. There's no need for male roles and female roles because we're all the same. Um, egalitarianism, I would say, you know, they, they would broadly, again, say the genders are unique, but all roles should still be open Every role should be open to a woman. Every role should be open to a man. There should be no exclusion. Um, Complementarianism. Um, men and women are equal. They have the same value. They have the same dignity. They have the same worth. Um, but we're given different roles by God for a purpose, and that purpose is to bring God glory and for the good of mankind. There's, there's a reason and a purpose. I mean, I can use my new all-in-one computer is a tennis racket. I can use it for that purpose, but it doesn't mean it's going to fulfill its intended purpose mm-hmm. or, or work very well for very long. Um, and, and then you have patriarchy, 
which is more along the lines of just believing that there is an inherent trait in men that makes them the leaders and women submit, you know, to the extreme in believing that every woman submits to every man, um, I, I would think would be the, the far end of that. Um, but the important thing to understand is that there is overlap. I mean, if we all plotted out our points, if it was possible to plot out the points of what we believe about numerous different points, you know, we, I, I might land on complementarianism in, in one quadrant of that circle, but you could be in another. Um, there's, there's overlap um, among them. And then, you know, just remembering, too, in the scope of what is sound biblical doctrine. Um, it, it's not necessarily a narrow scope. Mm -hmm. There's a wider scope there, or aspects of, of different beliefs could still fall mm -hmm. under the biblical, yeah. um, sound biblical mm -hmm. doctrine. But um, That's one of the points I like about this particular graphic is that mm -hmm. it, it shows distinct points, but yet there's clear overlap mm -hmm. in what is should be seen as a spectrum, that not all complementarians are the same, not all mm -hmm. egalitarians are the same, mm -hmm. and uh, much less for the the polls um, and in my reading it was very interesting to see putting the mirror up to me and needing to see the um, I guess the, the honesty the sincerity in people who differ from me that others who may come down on a different point can sincerely be pursuing mm -hmm. the meaning of the biblical text mm -hmm but come down in a different place. Mm -hmm. And that should open up dialogue for us. Okay, well, how ought we to understand this passage or this Greek word or these sorts of things? Mm -hmm. And it really plays on me to, to grant grace, mm -hmm. to give grace uh, to others who, who come down differently than me. Mm -hmm. One, to give grace for people to change their mind at some point, too, um, especially... Matt Chandler was talking about in this day and age where everything you say and do can be online. Um, you know, people will bring up points to him. You know, well, in 2004, you said, to, you know, well, that was 14 years ago, and I've grown, and I've read more, and I've prayed more, and I've grown in my faith. And um, So, yeah. Well, when we place the church within its surrounding culture, what is it today that is inherent in the gospel that the church puts forth that can speak to the troubles of the Me Too and the Church Too generation that surrounds us? Well, I think we have to, we have to consider um, what Jesus said about uh, the, true, the true mark and what will be the obvious sign to the world that we belong to him, that we're his disciples. And he said that, that is, that's our love for one another. So I think it's, it's worthwhile to stop and to consider intentionally what that looks like among men and women in a day and age where um, there's loaded language, where people are primed for to retaliate for aggressive responses. And so um, for us to really consider what that means, I think is, is definitely important. And two, in regards to the Me Too culture, um, it's also worthwhile to consider how, how to treat, especially men in leadership, and not to say that there is no temptation, but what it looks like to primarily treat women as sisters to be cared for versus primarily temptations to be avoided. Well, that was one of the things I'm calling you out, Kelly, even though you're not up here. <laughs> Kelly and I were having a discussion, um, and she, she brought up a great point about um, the last presidential election and how much um, attention Mike Pence got for his adherence to, you know, the... the Billy Graham rule. The Billy Graham now rule of not being rule. alone with a woman in, in, in most settings. Um, and, and I've heard that argument brought up many times before. You know, women say, well, you're excluding women from the possibility of these positions. You're excluding them from being, you know, kind of in your, your top-tier team of people that would be your close confidants. So we're kind of in a, you know, this position where 
we want to have it all, but we want protection at the same time. Um, and I think if we can agree that sometimes, you know, boundaries and rules and setting rules like that can be helpful for everybody, and then there's no misunderstanding, there's no mis miscommunication. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that that would keep a woman from holding a top position on his team because there are ways to meet in public, there are ways to include other people in meetings. Um, there, there are ways to do that, and when that's your lifestyle and that's what you do day in and day out, you figure out how to work within those boundaries. Um, and, it, and it doesn't have to be an exclusion. Um, it's a protection there. Um, I would hope that, that men that operate under that same principle do so um, as, a, as a means of loving protection, both for their, their wives, so there's no chance of being accused of improper conduct for the woman that they may be meeting with, that there's no possibility of her being accused of, of improper conduct. Um, and the position that they hold, I mean, there, there are great benefits to it. And, you know, Billy Graham, the whole reason he started that, I mean, the, the culture of that time and um, just the, the overall behavior that was prevalent in many evangelists was less than honorable. And he was trying to set himself far apart from that. Um, and I think in this day and age, a man choosing to do that is still setting themselves far apart from the cultural norm. So regardless of what society around us says, there is a way and we should pursue a way to both honor the women uh, in our lives, but to do so with wisdom and avoiding all um, appearance of evil and propriety. That's good. So let's turn our attention to some examples, either in history or even in your own personal lives. Who are some women that have kind of influenced you and understanding you know, this teaching, this area of teaching, or just encouraged you in your walk with Christ? Um, or, or perhaps there was a, a lack of examples that may have informed our position now. Talk about some of that. Well, obviously for me, it would be my wife. Uh, we've been married 50 years. Uh, I'm obviously very flawed, but that's not her fault. <laughs> uh, all, I, ha I have grown in Christ because we both became Christians at the same time. Uh, she has encouraged me. She has uh, been my helpmate much better than I have been her husband. Uh, and I would not be here. I would not be in this position but for her. So, and it's, it's obvious. Uh, and I think all the husbands would say that who are married to Christian women. Uh, there's, it's, it's the most important person in your life. It's the most important relationship you have on this planet. Uh, it is a team that cannot function well without both playing their role well, doing their role well, serving each other, loving each other unconditionally in all circumstances. Uh, it's a formative relationship. It, it's, yeah. it's never one direction. Right. I would say for me personally, um, Growing up, coming from a blended family, my mother um, was not my primary spiritual influence. And um, after becoming a believer in college, the church was where I was mothered and where women who were older than me um, embraced me and took me in. And I remember um, specifically there's a there was a uh, she was older to me at the time, 26-year-old woman oh. that took, I'm 26 now, she's in her 30s, but we still keep contact, but she, I wasn't plugged into a church, and she taught me that that was my first priority, finding a healthy church, and I remember before I even started coming to Grace, she knew that I was a student at Campbell, she did some research online and read doctrinal statements with me said, go and visit this church on Sunday. I want you to take notes. I want you to tell me about order of service. Tell me what they preach on. Um, tell me how they take communion when that comes up. And we would have these conversations to what to look for in a healthy church and what to look for in sermons that were preached consistently in the churches um, and then membership. And 
for her in that relationship was very formative to me. She was in seminary at the time, but she also taught me uh, something that's been really important for discipleship for me, and I think it is male or female, but um, the seriousness of our sin and to take our sin seriously and to take repentance seriously and confession one to another. So that walking in the light and um, the grace that's offered us is costly um, and it's a weighty thing, but it's also really important when it comes to growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. So, um, a she woman really in seminary. Out that, she that did. Commission that we read in Titus. She did. And as we've gotten older, she and I have had um, doctrinal differences. Um, she's part of an Orthodox Presbyterian church, um, but we love each other deeply and have these conversations where um, where we really learn and grow from each other. So, I would say for me, um, especially um, after I first became a believer um, when I was 13, uh, I didn't really have anyone to help guide me or disciple me in any way. And so what that led to for me was just years of this thought of, well, if this is what's good to me, this must be what's good to God. Well, this is what I think is fair, so that must be what's fair to God. And it was more of I was creating a God in my own image rather than realize that I was made in the image of God and learning more about who he was and, and what he said was true. Um, so, I mean, that just set me on, I, I won't say destructive, but just such a waste of time for so many years um, and, and, and it just becomes so easy to, to justify um, any behavior. But, I mean, it really became more of, okay, well, I found Jesus, you know, so that's done. Just check that off. Um, but uh, I, I think it stressed me. And, and, and as I grew and started learning on my own, learning some things on my own, even though some of the notions I had were very wrong, I started finding... Um, people to come along beside me and um, not necessarily in the same, you know, the very personal sense that you were sharing, Beth, but um, just people that you're experiencing life with and you're observing their life, you're observing how they interact with people, you're observing how they pray, you're observing, you know, everything that's going on. Um, and and, and what, I, what I began to do then was just kind of taking on the culture of my church. Um, when you're in a good, strong church, that can be a very good thing. Um, but that's not always the case. Um, but I guess for me, it has stressed how important it is to make the time. You know, we all, especially women, I, I'm sure men struggle with it too. But I mean, you talk to five women and you're going to get seven stories about how busy they are. Um, because we're, we're all just compelled to do so much. And I struggle with it myself too. Um, and we just don't leave any margins in our schedule. We don't leave any margins in our lives for those connections, even though it's so deeply important. Um, you know, and I, I wonder if that 13-year-old was sitting in my church and I noticed that she was coming without a family, would I notice her and reach out to her and make time for her to disciple her in all the ways that I can realize now that I needed then? Um, so I, I wouldn't have, you know, and maybe that's why the Lord didn't bring that person to me then because I don't know that I would have recognized it, not coming from a, a, a Christian home where this was practiced. I probably wouldn't have even realized how much I needed that. Um, but I can see it now. Um, so my hope would be that I, I would just love to see a culture of older women reaching out to younger women, um, even if it's not necessarily just, just new believers. There's so much that we can learn, and even once we're established believers, there's there's more to know, there's more to learn, there's more growing to do. So, I think it's important to <clears throat> for us to to understand and acknowledge that. I mean, I, I mean I've talked about obviously my wife is my, my mother was not a believer. Uh, I didn't have a a parent figure who was a believer, uh, but after I became a believer, I've come into contact with several women 
who have been a big influence on me. And, and one of them is we only knew for three years, really, uh, Mildred Cappen. She's 89 or 90 years old now. Uh, but they were in our home group for three years in California. And Mildred, godly woman, everything you come up, you come up, talk about, she, she want to, well, let's see what God's word says. Always went to the word. Uh, and in home groups here, I've had Diane, I've had Joy Acock, I've had Beth uh, in a home group. And some of the most wise things I've heard as we study scripture has been from women. So women have an ability to sometimes see things that I can't see. So it's not just who somebody you're real close to necessarily that's going to have a big impact on you. You can learn from everybody. I think that makes a good point, though, that even though the office of elder is reserved for men, that's set aside for men, you know, it, it's, it's a wise thing, and I think it's the, the thing that should be happening. I think is happening, you know, but men should be getting input from women, from their sisters in Christ mm -hmm. in their decision making. Not that that has the final say, but just seeking input. It's like Jason and I tell our kids, we always want to know what you think, but that doesn't mean we're going to do what you say, <laughs> you know. Well, I think um, it's important to, to, to understand it, that women can teach men. They can't teach them from the pulpit, mm -hmm. but they can teach them, and they yeah. do it a lot. And I think, too, it's um, we touched on this earlier. I think you did, Neil. Um, when we're talking about the context um, that we're dealing with or that we're in, and I think it's important to understand that the one another commands in the New Testament apply both to men right. and to women. Right. Exhort one another. Encourage one another. Right. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Admonish one another. And so that happens in those contexts of day-to-day -day life when you you are involved in one another's lives. And so... It's not happening from the pulpit, but it naturally is God's way of us as siblings and as a family learning and growing together. So you're actually saying Paul was not schizophrenic by saying <laughs> mutual submission, but yet complementary roles? Imagine that. Um, yeah, I, I, through hearing you all, we had dinner a couple weeks ago to kind of just flesh out some of the directions and thoughts that we're thinking of going in this conversation and since then I was had been thinking if you're a man and you're not learning from a woman something's wrong with you you need to you need to seek the Lord and ask him to put the uh, godly women in your life so they can shape you uh, yeah. according to the gospel and, and that we would do the same so moving from these examples in our lives now to, you, you kind of look at it in two different ways, women in ministry. There are women ministering, and there are women being served. So what are ways, even here at Grace, that women can serve or be served? Well, I think just observing, as Yogi Berra says, you can see a lot just by looking. Uh, if you observe what's going on here, I, I think that uh, women serve quite well and quite often. Uh, we've had women lead worship. David's had uh, women lead worship when he wasn't here. We've had women in the pulpit praying on a regular basis. Uh, we, we have a uh, children's director of children's ministry who's a woman. Uh, we have women who are teaching women. We, uh, we have women who are actually serving roles that we might think of were sort of deacon-like. Uh, they're not deacons, but they're certainly assisting the deacons. They're certainly uh, doing things that deacons do. They take meals to people. They cook meals for people. Uh, I think not to mention that every elder and every deacon in this church is married to a woman, so we know they have their say. Uh, and we listen to them, and they often give us good things to say and to think about. So I think that uh, our position, of course, as a church would be that women can participate in any ministry uh, that is not reserved for men in the scriptures, which is primarily preaching, teaching, and uh, leadership. 
One of the other points that um, in the course of our elder discussion, one of the points brought up is home groups is a, a perfect grounds to have that exercised where men and women are both learning and teaching and admonishing and right. exhorting one another together. Uh, anything else, any other specifics you wanted to, to mention? I think the unique opportunity just to be able to minister to other women, I mean, certainly men can minister to women and women can minister to men in certain ways, but um, the idea of like ministering to like, whether it's men ministering to men or women ministering to women, being alike in that sense provides a unique opportunity. Um, so just the, and, and I know even without any kind of formal um, you know, it, here at Grace, we don't have any kind of formal um, mentorship program or discipleship. You know, come see me and sign up, and I'll assign you a mentor. You know, we don't have anything like that, but I know that's happening. There are several women that are, that are that, that's, that's very much in their nature. That's one of their gifts, and that's, that's happening. And I would love to see that grow more into the culture of our, of our church and our, our family to to spread that more. Mm -hmm. And I would just put a plug to, if you are a woman here, there is someone in your sphere of influence that is younger than you. Um, and, and older. And older, exactly. <clears throat> and you, you may not know exactly how to initiate that type of relationship with someone, um, with another woman, but I would say, speaking for myself and friends that I have that are also women, we crave it. We crave relationships with older women where they teach us, where there is that authoritative type of mothering that happens, and you show us what it looks like to walk with Jesus and to be faithful, and we've been living life for 20 years, and I can't think of anything more foolish than a bunch of 20 year olds all telling each other how to do life so but I mean need that's, you. that's kind of the cultural standard it I is. mean your your maturity level um, attests to your desire to be with older women but I think from what I've heard from a lot of older women is that they feel as though the younger generation doesn't value what they have to say it's not relevant and younger women have more value on peer interaction um, and then you have people like me who just kind of feel like you're swirling in the middle. You're not really one of the older women, but you're not really one of the younger women. You're just kind of, you know, the middle child. Um, but, you know, we, we, we're missing out on so much when peer groups are our main focus. Not that that should be our, you know, out of our focus, but if that's our only focus, if that's the only interaction that we're having with other women, we're missing out on so much because they're experiencing the same things as you, they haven't walked ahead of you. Mm -hmm. um, so. Stage of life interaction is good, but you're not likely to grow in wisdom by, by the echo chamber. Mm -hmm. and wisdom is a good thing because today we want lots of information. Information is at our fingertips and we can get lots of information. And then we build this knowledge, which is just this accumulation of information, but if all the information that we've taken in about the subject is wrong, then our knowledge is false. Um, and, and you can't build wisdom from false knowledge. You have to have truth. Well, what is truth? I mean, wisdom begins with fearing the Lord and, and understanding what he determines to be true. Um, and that's where our focus really should be, rather than this just accumulation of mass amounts of information. You know, while we're talking about women in ministry, that, that generational thing, though, is I see that as a teacher. I'm sure, Rand and Bert see it as well. That's just a generational thing. That's, the males are the same way as the, as the women are in, in this 20-something generation. They don't, they don't really interact with older people. They don't really like what older people have to say a lot of times. But I think as Christians, we have to have a different view on that. That's... Well, you mentioned culture uh, a few moments ago. So my question now is, how, how has or how can the church in general, and, and again, be as specific to Grace Community Church if, as you would like, how can we better 
honor and protect women as our sisters in Christ? And how can we, Beth, this may be more towards uh, where you are this this stage of life. We've got an elder who is married, a women's ministry leader who's married, and a women's ministry leader who is single. How can the church better appreciate and support the gifts and ministries of, of single women as well? Um, I think, first and foremost, ways that I have been cared for and being at Grace, I have been cared for so well. Um, But the ways that I've been cared for as a single woman has been um, um, husbands and wives inviting me into their family and um, inviting me in as part of their unit and um, really getting to have relationships with their younger children like they were my own siblings. Um, And I have been so blessed in that regard um, to really be in a place, to be in a church where um, that I've been able to fully enjoy the family that God has provided for us in Jesus. And so for me, coming from a blended family where my parents are divorced, their walk with the Lord is a little shaky at best. Um, I have been able to experience healthy families, seen healthy marriages. Um, I have seen parents interact with their children in healthy ways. And so I've really seen things modeled for me that have been very healing. And I have also seen things modeled for me that I would not have seen any other way had God not redeemed me and put me in a place like grace at the time that he did. And so I would just say, inviting single women into your life. Women, if you're doing laundry, folding laundry, I've had older women invite me over to help them fold laundry, help them do dishes or help them get ready for guests that are coming in out of town. And it's really just that spending time together Whatever you're doing. On behalf of my wife, I would like to... Oh, you want me to come to your lunch? Yes, I think we we need all the help we can get. So that's what I would say there. Well, out of my love for you as a sister in Christ, you were always welcome to help me do the laundry. Always. I shouldn't have said that. I got no comment. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in a moment, I'm going to put up uh, some resources that, uh, that we've looked at in preparing for this and some others that we want to make available to you. Um, but before we do, I'm going to ask David if he can maybe throw up the uh, results of our poll or any questions that have come in. Our poll question was this, who are biblical examples of women ministering in and to the church? We've seen Priscilla, yes, Phoebe. We've, we had not mentioned her in uh, this conversation, but it's good to see her name brought up. And finally, female missionaries such as Lottie Moon and, uh, or Corey Ten Boom. Good names to, to know, good lives to be familiar with in church history, their, their impact uh, for the kingdom. Very good. Uh, do we have anything else from the, from the polls or questions? All right. I'm just as new to this as everyone else, so bear with me here. Um, top of the, the board, we have... In what ways have you experienced culture encouraging you to operate outside biblical standards? Hmm, so this would be the influence of the, the non-Christian culture on the church or on you and your family. Any Specifically just to Gina and Beth. What do you say? To Gina and Beth. Oh. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I think in our culture, right, I mean, what, what culture says we want, what culture says we should want, and what we need is equality. But what we see more and more is that what it really means for a woman to be equal is that I want to be treated better than you. Um, that's becoming more and more the trend, I think. Um, and, and I think we're getting into a slippery slope because equality doesn't, have to mean that everything you have, I have. Everything you do, I can do. Um, 
men and women were just never intended to be, you know, we can, we can still be men and women and be masculine and be feminine. Um, that doesn't have to be a dirty word. Um, and still pursue this idea of biblical quality, you know, but somewhere along the way, to be equal, it has become more that men, women have to learn how to, to be just like men and, and kind of the whole mentality of what's good for the goose is good for the gander, which we've kind of seen, you know, rise up with the, the sexual revolution and, and modern feminism. Um, and I think all of those things are so damaging to the idea of what scripture calls us to be as women. Um, because it's very contrary um, when you look at the virtues that are praised, such as being meek and um, loyal and, and serving others, um, rather than just demanding, you know. I, and looking back at the example of the Trinity, you know, we kind of buck against as a society this idea of having to submit or for there being any role assignment um, for there to be union or for there to be um, anything other than me pursuing what I want right now and you celebrating that with me. Um, but, you know, in, in Genesis when it says, let us make man in our image, that us is referring to the Trinity. So there are, there are three persons, three personalities involved in that. And you know, we look back to Genesis 1 at the creation of Adam and Eve, but if we look back even before that to the Trinity, there's submission there. There's, and I th Jim talked about this a little bit, but, you know, the, the roles and the submission in the Trinity are not based on gender or anything like that. But um, if we're going to look at the whole idea of roles and submission, we see that in the Trinity, and we're made in the image of that triune God. Um, and if he can submit and stick to the roles that have been, um, you know, I don't know, that assigned would be the right word. Who knows how the roles were, were split in the Trinity. But um, if there's submission to that within the Trinity, and we're made in the image of that God, and we're going to say that that God is our Lord and our Savior, why do we expect better than he would do himself if he can submit, if he can have these roles that are abided by, if, if the Trinity can be in union, why do we as a culture made in the image of that God push so hard against that idea? I found it interesting that um, the, the parallel between what not only society but even movements within the church mm -hmm. are pushing for the the interchangeability of, mm -hmm. of women for men, especially in the role of, of elder, how it parallels the garden, that Adam and Eve, as male and female, were given complete freedom mm -hmm. to partake of any fruit, any and every fruit in the entire garden, except for one. But where did Satan attack? It was in temptation of that one thing. Mm -hmm. And so we, we have that here in our, our day and age that this one thing that is uh, ordained by God to be ordered in such a fashion, mm -hmm. that's one particular area that so many of us get hung up on. You know, when you think about it, in the garden, Eve took on the role of Adam. Mm -hmm. She was the one that decided they were going to eat the fruit. And Adam took on the role of Eve and submitted to her request. And that didn't work out well. We have roles that God has created for us. We get out of his order. We have difficulty. And I think, too, um, the ways that culture encourages us to operate outside of biblical standards, I think it depends on which culture you're in. I think you can be in a conservative Christian culture that will um, tempt you to overemphasize things that God's word does not. They want you to shout things that God's word kind of whispers about. or um, And then you may be in a secular culture or um, I studied English literature. And so a lot of the culture around there, I heard I don't know how many times, a woman needs a, a, woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. So you, there are temptations there 
where the fish doesn't need a bicycle, Jim. <laughs> I was trying to figure out, but I thought a woman did need a man. <laughs> but depending on which circle or which um, area of influence that you're operating in, there's always going to be that temptation to to either downplay certain things that the Bible will not downplay or um, overemphasize things that the Bible does not overemphasize. And so I think it's holding, being okay and comfortable with holding the tension of saying, hmm, okay, in this, in this group I might seem a little too liberal, and in this group I might seem way too conservative, but I have to keep the tension and hold the tension and be faithful to what I know yeah, is true. Because we all come, we all come into every situation with our own biography, yeah. Yeah. who we are, and we're, and sometimes that biography is not very good. Mm. And so we need to listen more carefully and say less. Mm. That's good. I'm going to pair the next two questions together, dealing with um, value. Uh, how have you experienced? It just changed on me. Okay, how have you experienced a devaluing of your equality in the church? And on the opposite side of the coin, how can men at Grace better value uh, women while maintaining those biblical standards and distinctions? Um, I will start um, with the second question, and I do just want to affirm ways that this has been done extremely well in my life. Um, I, coming from um, a family and a background where it makes sense to me how feminism and women who adhere to that become the way that they are, um, I can 100% understand that mindset. But Coming, coming from a background where I can understand that I have been um, in my own personal life affirmed and felt by godly men who love the word of God, I have felt valued. I have um, been asked questions, been asked for input, have really, um, I've had Older men come up to me months later and say, what you said in this conversation really stuck with me. And I've shared this with so many different people. And so um, really feeling heard and knowing that I am cared for and valued has always been a part of my experience here at this church. And so um, I think that would be a major thing for me and always feeling honored and knowing, feeling honored by the entire family unit that a man is involved in as well. So I think for me, that would be a way that I've seen that done really well. Are, are we talking about the first question that's on the screen, Neil? The so. first and the second? Yeah. Yes. Okay. She did the second. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, I, I can't say that I, ha I personally have experienced a, devalue, a, a devaluing of, of equity in the church personally. Um, I know that there are some people that that is their story um, that have had inappropriate interactions with people at the church or even um, clergy in some cases. Um, I guess it's just all a remindful that we're all sinful and we all need a Savior for a reason. Um, but um, as far as myself, I, I, I can't think of an example of feeling devalued. Um, I think if I did, it's probably not a church that I would stay in. Um, before we came to Grace, um, you know, we visited various churches. Um, after leaving a church, we were at for a very long time, one of which the women in that, in that church stayed absolutely silent during the whole service, um, even to the point that women would sit and knit in, in their chair um, and, and just seem to be very passive um, as to whether or not they were even listening to the sermon 
that was a place that I just couldn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel like there was, there was very much value placed on women or their input, um, and I didn't feel comfortable. I expressed that to Jason, and, and we didn't stay. Um, but um, as far as encouraging women and their value while maintaining biblical distinction, um, you know, I, I think part of it, if, if a woman wants to be able to, to feel that value to some point, you have to put yourself in a position to be involved. You know, if you're in a home group where you feel like you can offer input and be heard, um, if you, whether you're single or, or married, you know, if you're in a marriage, then, you know, you have the opportunity to express those views with your husband. Um, but also, you know, in the larger home group setting, you know, where just honest, open conversation about passages and about things going on in life takes place. I um, mean, you have that opportunity to make that input. Um, when we ourselves remain on the sidelines and don't get involved, we're kind of excluding ourselves from the opportunity to be involved. So I think that's very important um, when the opportunities are there to, to enjoy those opportunities and to take part in them. I want to jump down to the last question uh, just because it's interesting to me. Um, what is women's prophecy? And it mentions Deborah and Philip's daughters were, uh, is seen in, in Acts where um, Philip disappears for several chapters and then when he reappears, his daughters are prophesying. Uh, I'll just say that personally I've been doing a long study on, on prophecy and where that personal study has uh, come into confluence with preparation for this panel discussion has been very helpful for me, um, but it's probably more than we have time to tackle tonight, and especially that Deborah and Philip's daughters were, they had different different roles even within scripture. Uh, so if you want to email that to me or to generally to Grace Matters, I'd be happy to discuss that further. Um, maybe, let's, okay, one just came in. Let's tackle tackle these quickly, and then we'll close things out. I have read some from and about Beth Moore, but I'm, I'm no expert. Um, do either of you want to tackle whether or not she's preaching or teaching and is what she's doing uh, within the biblical bounds? I mean, I would say Beth Moore is a women's Bible teacher. Um, and I think, I, I'm trying to remember, it's been a long time since I've heard Beth Moore speak, but I would imagine from what I remember, that's also how she would define herself um, at one point in one discussion. Um, she called herself a lecturer um, because she was giving a lot of her thoughts, and she made it clear she was expressing her thoughts on a, a book that um, there wasn't a lot of clarity. So she was kind of explaining some um, some of the major accepted points of view and then kind of saying and this is where I land on this but you have to read it for yourself and, and determine where you land um, so yeah I would say she's a women's Bible teacher I would say she was a women's Bible teacher as well and think the type of teaching that she does is more topical or is exegetical I'm a fan of Beth Moore I don't have anything mm -hmm. negative to say yeah. I would say too um, I mean her primary context is not within the local church. Her primary context is women teaching women, and um, she'll do that in various informal settings and conferences and things like that, so. Jim, last one of the, the night, I guess this is a representative of uh, the elders' position and current discussions. Could women, you had mentioned before that there are women here that are serving in what could be described as deacon-like functions, could women serve as deacons? And uh, looking at 1 Timothy 3.12 and also mentioning Phoebe, uh, who seems to be described as a deacon or deaconess. Well, our position is that uh, only men can serve in the deacon role. I do not read 1 Timothy 3.12 uh, to say that a woman can be a deacon. I, I realize a lot of people do read that that way. Uh, we, we, are, we read that, it seems like it's more in the role of maybe as a wife of a deacon, uh, but that would be another day and time for a discussion. Uh, and we don't see any clear indication that Phoebe was actually a deacon. 
she was she, she could be a some churches like uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City Tim Keller's church they have they have had deaconesses in the past uh, and they got in trouble with the PCA on that uh, but what they what they were really doing in, in reading about that in preparation for this they they, they distinguish between deacon-like service and holding the office of deacon uh, because the requirements in, in scripture seem to say that deacons have to be men to hold the office but you can do now Redeemer calls them deacon assistants and that, and that includes men and women who are doing deacon-like things helping and assisting the deacons but they can't hold the, the, the office of deacon technically and that's the way we read the scripture we realize that that's not necessarily everybody's going to agree with that that's the position we've taken uh and we think that's pretty sound exegesis of the scripture yeah i think that the, the language there is a, a an important point to to make that um deacon i mean what, what does it mean i mean servant but you can distinguish between the office and the, and the function right so that's that's where we are now and i'd say that's one of many ongoing conversations that the elders have but that is yeah. the right now right. Um, so to tie up our time I do want to throw up on the screen for us and I want to make these uh, slides available also online with with the audio recording so don't think that you have to write all these down immediately uh, but these are some resources that you may want to consider and there are others that I have either read or listened to and others that have come through from the panel so if you want more uh, be sure to contact me I'll be happy to share with you what I have but uh, Tom Schreiner from Southern Seminary uh, wrote for Nine Marks his examination of the passage dealing with women in 1 Corinthians 11. Trillian Newbell, also for Nine Marks, uh, wrote recently about the equality, true equality of men and women. And the, the Village Church may be familiar with the names Matt Chandler and Jen Wilkins. And uh, they in particular, but the, their entire church went through a, a study and actually put forward a paper, two papers, in fact, outlining what they understand. And again, we may not line up 100% with, with their findings, but it's hard to find anyone, if that person exists, that we would line up 100% with on all things. Uh, but these are, are good resources uh, to check out. Uh, and actually, one of those is a book, Two Views. It's actually four authors providing two views, so it's two views from the egalitarian position and two views from the complementarian position. Uh, and you see the other ones there. Sheologians is a podcast by, by two reformed women, and recently they discussed what it means to be a woman, to be created for feminine purposes. I, I thought that was helpful. And Amy Bird there examines uh, another chapter in 1 Corinthians uh, 14. So... Um, I'll give our panel one last opportunity for final comments. I would recommend, uh, I haven't read the book, I read the review of it, and it looks pretty good, uh, Kathy Keller's book on, on these issues that we've been discussing. She was formerly an egalitarian, uh, egalitarian and now she is a complementarian, uh, and she talks about her journey through that. And her journey was primarily through study of scripture. And, and of course, she's married to Tim Keller, so I'm sure he had some influence on it. Uh, but she's big time in this, in this discussion. She's written a lot. Uh, she's, she served as a committee for the, in the PCA church on their study on, this, on the issue of the role of women in ministry. Uh, and they, that's another thing. You go online and just look for the PCA's report on that. It's a 65-page report. Mm -hmm. It does an exegesis of a lot of the scripture and then uh, gives you their, their final position on it. We would not agree with everything in there either, but we would certainly agree with most of it. Very good. Well, I appreciate and I'm thankful for each of you. I honor you two women for, for being with us. Um, I know I've benefited from, from my relationships with, with, each, with each of you and with other women within our congregation. Uh, so I appreciate your your words of wisdom this evening and I appreciate all of you joining us tonight and for your uh, your patience in 
participating with technology. Uh, sorry, we weren't able to get the microphone around for some verbal questions. I know some of you are just dying to like, ask questions, stand up and shout them out. But I appreciate you being here. And uh, to close our time, I'm going to ask Beth if you would uh, close us in prayer. Father, we are grateful that you have redeemed us and that we belong to you, that male and female, we were purchased with the same blood and we are co-heirs in the grace of life. And Father, I pray that you would enable us by the power of your spirit to, um, to grow in the knowledge of how to love one another well, Lord, and um, to love one another in such a way that it is obvious that we belong to you, Lord, in a way that is distinct from the world, but is completely formed by your word. And so, Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity to have these conversations, Lord, that you have revealed to us your truth, that you have revealed to us um, your design for human flourishing. And we love you for that, Lord, that you're a God that reveals yourself. So as we go, I pray that you would um, be with us and, um, Lord, that we would be filled with your spirit, be led by your spirit, and walk by the spirit, Lord. We love you, and we ask, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.